Hi there, this is the Reverend Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is Love to Tell the Story. Well, it's now the second week of Advent, and as our waiting and watching continues and the birth of a Savior draws closer, we are biblically exhorted to prepare the way of the Lord, which I dare say on this year of all years means being bold about our faith and to truly lift it up do not fear. Well, not so coincidentally, that's the title of today's message, which is the second installment of our current sermon series for this Advent and Christmas season, a series we've entitled Christmas, Now More Than Ever. This message is based on Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11, and it begins with some thoughts on the inevitability of change. It is a saying that is attributed to the Greek philosopher Heraclitus, uh, and it's very familiar, and yet it is as true now as it ever has been. He said that the only constant in life is change. Now, think about this with me for just a moment, because it is true. Everything in this world, even the universe that surrounds us is ever in motion, and with every passing moment, things are different than they were just the moment before. I mean, never mind that at this very moment, our planet Earth is turning at a speed of 1,100 miles per hour, and that it's circling the sun at 481,000 miles per hour. Whoa. And, and so, because of that, alone, our surroundings are quite literally changed by the second. It's also true that amidst all this whirling and twirling, the future, our future, is unfolding just about as fast. It's been said, and I don't know who came up with this theory originally, but I think it's probably true. It's been said that there have been more changes in our knowledge of science and technology and the things of the world over the past 50 to 100 years than in the whole previous 5,000 years of human civilization. Moreover, our shared human experience over the past century, that is our history, has been such that quite often by virtue of certain events, 9-11 comes to mind, for instance, or if you're of a certain age, the Kennedy assassination. These are moments when when life as we know it has changes things forever. And of course, it's not simply the world that changes, right? It's we ourselves. Children grow up and, and they have lives and families of their own. Families themselves have a way of changing and rearranging over time and circumstances. The places that we call home also tend to shift and change with the passing of generations. Not too long ago, when I was up north, as is often my habit, I sort of chose my driving route to, to take a look at some of the old places of my youth, my grandmother's house in Lincoln, for instance, and interestingly enough, their cottage on Coldstream uh, in outside of Enfield. And I was shocked to discover, particularly with that cottage on Coldstream, 
It really doesn't exist. The road doesn't even look the same. Since I was a child, everything has moved and shifted and been different. Even our bodies are forever undergoing change, most especially for those of us who are, shall we say, growing just a little bit older. And let's not even talk now about the way, thanks to COVID-19, that many of our most cherished personal and family traditions, holiday and otherwise, have had to change this year, either by necessity or because of a desire to do things differently. Just ask my wife how well I adapt to those kind of situations. But the fact remains, everything changes. And while change is sometimes a very good thing, a lot of change is not for the better. In fact, not to get all morose about it, but I dare say that there is a verse in our text this morning, what, what Cindy just shared with us, that truly resonates for us in these strange times in which we live. And I suspect it's really not the verse we're expecting. It's actually that one that speaks about how all people are grass. Grass that ultimately withers and dies as the message translates it. And understand, folks, this is the word of the Lord we're espousing here. We are a people with love and life as fragile as wildflowers. If God so much as puffs on them, aren't these people just so much grass? <laughs> Wouldn't you like to see that quoted on a Christmas card? Of course, with the added reading, with blessings for the new year. Not really. But it is true that in times such as these, when everything is changing so very swiftly, so very radically, it seems, we are left feeling very fragile indeed and in great need of something, well, permanent. The Reverend Edward F. Markhart, who is a retired Lutheran pastor and a very prolific writer out of Seattle, he says this very well when he writes, in a life which is spinning so rapidly forward, in a world in which we are growing older much faster than we anticipate, in a world in which nothing stays the same, there is a deep need in all of us for something, something to stay the same. When everything around us is transitory, we have the need for something around us to be eternal, permanent, constant. In a world, he continues, in which everything seems to get turned upside down, we need something that is solid. Solid as the rock of Gibraltar. Deep down inside all of us, Markhart concludes, we need something that will stay the same. So isn't it good news, beloved, that we have Christmas? Now that verse about fading flowers and withering grass notwithstanding. What's very interesting to me about this reading from the 40th chapter of Isaiah, the beginning of what biblical scholars sometimes refer to as second Isaiah, is that <clears throat> historically speaking, it's addressed to a people living in exile. Specifically the people of Judah, 
who have been defeated and conquered by the Babylonians around 586 BC. So once again, what we have here in scripture are words spoken in the context of the city of Jerusalem having been destroyed and the temple in ruins and God's people deported and scattered across the known world. So they're far from home. They're strangers in a strange land. They are a people truly lost in a desert wilderness, both literally and spiritually. To say that everything had changed for them is to put it lightly. And so when a voice cries, well, when a voice says, cry out, of course they're going to compare themselves to that which is blown to the four winds when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. This may well be one of the most uh, fatalistic passages of Scripture that we find in the Old Testament. If it were only about those couple of verses, however, it might even come off as a statement of surrender on the part of God's people Israel. And yet, and yet, how does this 40th chapter of Isaiah begin? What is the first thing that God says to these people in the midst of their exile and everything in their world spinning hopelessly out of control? We heard it as we lit the second Advent candle this morning. God says, comfort. Oh, comfort my people. For not only does God want them to know that their sin is forgiven and that their penalty is paid, and now it is over and done with, God proclaims to them that he is coming with might and that he will feed his flock like a shepherd that he will gather the lambs in his arms, hugging them as he carries them, leading the nursing ewes to good pasture. That's from the message. I love that. This testimony of Isaiah is clear. While there may be trouble for us now, there is for us a sure and certain hope, for the tender-hearted and loving God is coming to embrace us, to console us in this trouble. Yes, it's true. All people are grass. And it might well be true that our constancy is like the flowers of the field that inevitably fade. But the good news is that the word of our Lord will stand forever. Everything else might change, and it probably will, but God will remain steadfast and strong. God will never fade and never fail. God will always deal with his people with peace and in love. This is the divine truth that is eternal. It's permanent. It's constant. It is an unchanging truth that we need now more than ever before. In these days of uncertainty and unwanted change, it is very easy for us, like Israel before us, to spend days despairing our lot, despairing that we also are like the grass, that as the world spins out of control, our lives and our living amount to nothing as we wither and fade, that our life after all is said and done is simply something that's fragile and impermanent. And yet, 
The good news that Israel received is our good news as well. We are assured that in the midst of it all, the word of our God will stand forever. In other words, there is hope. We do know and will know the comfort of a Savior and that we will be the recipients of his promised new heaven and new earth. Now, I don't know about you, dear friends, but I will confess to you today that I do stand in the need of that kind of tender comfort. I always have, but I stand in the need of it now more than ever before. I depend on that divine hope, and I am yearning for that peace, a hope that finds its advent in a tiny baby born in the manger of Bethlehem, a peace that is made real in a Savior who is Christ the Lord, a promise of love unending that is coming soon and very soon and will come to full fruition in his kingdom to come. Yes, the good news is that salvation is coming. Perhaps it might not seem it at present, but make no mistake, it's coming. There will be a moment when the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. It will come to pass. It will come to pass by God's grace and in God's time. And in the meantime, we prepare the way for his coming. You know, there's another interesting aspect of, of this particular passage of scripture we've read today. This call to prepare the way of the Lord, to make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now this would have actually have sounded to the people of Israel as, in truth, a very familiar call to action. You see, it was in fact very common in those days that when royalty was to visit a particular village, the whole town would rally for weeks ahead of time to get things ready. Not only sprucing up the village itself, but also, interestingly enough, by repairing the road that leads into the village. Instead of all these winding pathways where cattle and sheep had trodden, they'd work to make the way straight. They'd smooth out the bumps and fill in the wagon wheel ruts. If they could, they'd even flatten out a few of the small hills, filling in the valleys, so they would, in essence, create a smooth, easy entrance to their village. It was hard work to be sure, but they saw it as necessary work to pay homage to the one who was about to come to be with them. So when they heard this call to prepare the way of the Lord, they understood that there was much work to be done, but not in terms of landscaping, rather in the repaving of their own lives in anticipation for God's coming. The need to examine their very lives in the light of their exile. A call to clear out the rough places, to, to remove anything and everything that would hinder their allegiance and obedience to God. But here's the thing, yeah, hard work, personally and spiritually, 
Very difficult. But here's the thing. It was ever and always work that was meant to be done gladly. It was work that was to be done in joyous anticipation. Work to be done without fear of failure. It was, in fact, work intended as a shout of triumph. And you hear it in that passage. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up. Do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. You see, what's very clear here is there is a sense of urgency about what God is doing. Great anticipation for what is just about to happen about what God is doing. So shouting it from the mountaintops would seem, no, most certainly would be the first and best response. And that, friends, is the good news of this passage, but it's also our challenge. And it all comes down to this ever-whirling, twirling world in which we live. In the midst of of all this uncertainty, this ever-changing viewpoint we have, there is an unchanging God who is coming to, to change the world once and for all. The Savior is coming. The glory of the Lord is about to be revealed. So the question is, are we ready for it? Have we made the changes necessary to welcome his coming? Is what we're doing today different than what we did yesterday because of what's going to happen tomorrow? Have we been busy clearing out the rubble of our own particular desert wilderness so to make a highway to our hearts for God? Have we been engaged in not-so-random acts of kindness and care after the manner of Jesus himself? Are we ready to boldly go, as it were, atop that mountain to shout the good news of his coming by our words, but most especially by our lives? Or is the truth is that we are simply content to stay in the background, to live as with the grass, here today and gone tomorrow. I'm here this morning to tell you that how we answer those questions, you and I, not only matters for us in our own journeys in this Advent season, but it makes all the difference in a world that needs Christmas now more than ever. No. At present, there is no peace on earth. And our lives in this ever-changing world certainly carries more than a modicum of injustice and struggle. But just as God fulfilled his promise of a birth of a Savior, the day is also coming when all of our hopes, all of our yearnings for peace all of our anticipation for things to go right will be fulfilled. In the meantime, 
it falls to you and I as followers of Christ, as true Advent people, to be waiting, to be watching, and to be preparing for that moment to come, that blessed moment to come in fullness as we boldly and joyfully herald the good tidings of his coming into the world and into our lives. So let your voices be heard, beloved. Let it be heard during this Advent and Christmas season. Let it be heard in every day, in every way of your lives. Speak loudly, speak lovely. Lift your voices, lift it up. Do not fear, for in doing so, a bit of the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And as we shout out our glad tidings, may our thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, Lift It Up, Do Not Fear. It was recorded at our December the 6th online service of worship, and it's part of our current Advent and Christmas sermon series, Christmas Now More Than Ever. And of course, all through this sacred season, you're invited to join us live for those online services. You can do so by logging on to Facebook Live on our East Church Facebook page each and every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. We'd love to have you be a part of this worship experience, especially this time of year, right along with us. And with that, we're at the end of another episode of Love to Tell the Story. This is Michael Lowry, and I do thank you so much for listening. And until next time, stay safe, be well, and may God bless you in this sacred season with a great day each day. Talk to you soon.